0: Hello and welcome to our Pulse podcast. It's Tuesday, September fourteenth, and we're fortunate to have uh, several healthcare workers with us today from various states. And um, they're being brave. Um, it's hard to find your inner voice. Uh, we've we've been empowered uh, so much at the bedside, but it's hard to find our own voice. So. Uh, I'm very proud of these ladies for stepping up and, and willing to talk and tell what's going on from their state and give us kind of a glimpse and a pulse of what's going on, you know, across East, East Coast to West Coast. So, I'm excited to get started and get a pulse of what's really going on. So, ladies, um, if anybody would like to start uh, some insight into what's going on at your hospital or healthcare setting, feel free to jump in.
1: I didn't know if anyone had heard about um, the podcast and it was actually talking about a hospital uh, where I uh, worked in the same network and um, they actually had a patient who um, the spouse had to advocate for her to get um, ivermectin and actually had to actually advocate for her to be released from the hospital as well and so he had gone on there and Actually turned out that the wife that was in the hospital was the one that had done my photos for my wedding. And so I actually knew the couple, but um, yeah, so they had talked about having to really try to advocate for your family members in the hospital and to try different medications. And the hospitals, not just from that couple, but I also know another person who I had reached out to, their spouse was in ICU with COVID. And they had also asked for the ivermectin three different times to be tried. And I just found out yesterday that he actually, that patient actually passed away. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think, more than anything, with the vaccine and everything going on, the most important thing to talk about as well is, you know, just people being able to advocate for their family members Mm
0: -hmm. and make
1: some decisions. And from what I'm hearing, there's several people that have not been able to visit not been able to advocate for their family members and you know there's the right to try act that's being completely um, ignored by facilities and denied to patients families and i I think that's probably one of the most important things because these people are not given a chance to try something alternative when they're basically having a they're diagnosed with a terminal illness when they're put on a ventilator right Right. Do you have any advice for people on what they could possibly do to help themselves and their families?
0: Yeah, and, and that's that's the the heartbreaking thing is when you come in with with a COVID diagnosis, you're put in a room and your family is isolated from you, so you have nobody there to advocate for you. So you're pretty much at the mercy of the hospital protocols, and what we're, we're finding is that the hospital protocols are not always the best thing. That this remdesivir we're we're hearing as well that it's not it's causing you know renal complications and it it's just not as as you know the maybe the primary um, treatment that needs to be done and and um, we're just the you know as well the ventilator is not the treatment for for these patients and. It's unfortunate, but I don't know what the answer is to get the, the patient's family members. I, they just need to be more vocal. And if they're not getting anywhere, you know, the news. They need to get the yeah. news involved if they're outside the hospital setting and not allowed in to see their family member. I mean, it's, it's just heartbreaking.
2: So I'm, uh, I'm a nurse coming out of Southern California and you know I work currently on a medical surgical unit that also deals with stroke patients and we were also converted to a partial COVID unit um, and what I've seen in terms of the rendesivir treatment is they don't even start that unless you're on a minimum of two liters of oxygen. So you have to get significantly ill already to, like, before you can even get that treatment. And if you're not on remdesivir, they're not really doing much except um, nebulized breathing treatments, as far as I've seen. So it's like, I feel like the patients have to get significantly worse before they can even try something. Mm. It's just sad. And, um, you know, the patients, they... They don't know. They just listen blindly to what the doctors, and the nurses have to say. You know, we're just like, use your incentive spirometer and just <laughs> prone yourself, and that's about it. It's it's sad. Um, you know, I'm on a since I'm on a med surge floor, the patients that I've been dealing with that come in with COVID are not on the verge of dying. Thankfully, you know, they are usually just like on low levels of oxygen and you know what's interesting is um, you know we're testing everybody that comes into the hospital. We are doing COVID tests as soon as they come into the emergency room and a lot of my patients that I've dealt with are there for other illnesses besides COVID. They just happen to be COVID positive. For example like I have patients that come in for suicide attempts that happen to be COVID positive so they just go to the COVID ward or they come in for an abscess and they're COVID-positive, but they're not having any COVID symptoms, but they just go to the COVID ward. Mm -hmm. Um, And so our numbers of COVID patients, of course, is going up. Mm -hmm. Um, And what I also noticed is a lot of the patients, like we don't, I don't know what it's like in other hospitals, but at the hospital system I'm working at, we hold on to our patients until they have somewhere safe to discharge. And uh, where I am in the county that I live in, there's only two skilled nursing facilities that are accepting COVID positive patients. So we are holding on to our patients sometimes for weeks at a time just because they have nowhere to go or they can't go home and self-isolate. So we have some patients that are like we had a homeless gentleman that was completely recovered from COVID, but he had to stay with us for an extra two weeks because the homeless shelter that he was living at wouldn't accept him without a negative COVID test.
0: Oh, my gosh. Mm.
2: I think that's kind of causing, you know, these numbers to increase. Is just we're just holding on to these patients for weeks. Right. And, of course, there's going to be a bed shortage if we're just holding on to these patients.
1: Yes. And also, I've seen because I worked in the emergency room and I've seen so many people being sent in by their, you know, primary care physicians or even urgent cares because they're not willing to take on any patient that they even suspect might have COVID-like symptoms, which a lot of the patients who do have some symptoms in the beginning, they're not, they don't need to go to the emergency room. They're not in emergency. Their saturation is completely normal. Um, they're dealing with symptoms or they want to be tested. Those sorts of things are all being, you know, navigated towards the emergency room and causing, you know, an overflow of patients that don't necessarily need to be there when COVID's been around for, I mean, it's over a year now. Mm -hmm. You know, we've never, doctor's offices never pushed away flu patients during flu season, and they're not putting in any kind of special protocol in order to treat these patients. You know, obviously you want to be safe and isolate the patient and not get other people sick, but you know, the emergency room is not necessarily the catch-all, and it's become that even more so during the COVID than any time Mm -hmm. before.
0: Wow. Mm. Well, and here in North Carolina, a lot of the a lot of the um the news is is advertising it that it's the you know epidemic of the unvaccinated and the hospitals are full of unvaccinated sick people which we're finding out that if you come into the emergency room and you say that you've been vaccinated you're not even tested and we know that the vaccinated can also be spreaders so you know that's going to falsely skew the numbers in and of itself if you're only un- testing the unvaccinated, then that's where your 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 you know your primary group is gonna be. So it's- And I
1: hadn't really heard why they're not testing the vaccinated. I have heard rumors, which is not substantiated, but that they're talking about that if you're vaccinated, you're gonna come back positive. And I don't see how that can possibly be true. Yeah.
3: Um. So I'm, I'm a registered nurse in, in a hospital. I did work for a hospital here in Northern Maine. Um, I'm originally from North Carolina and uh, worked in both states during the pandemic. In May, the hospital here, I'm a, I'm a wound nurse, so I sit through a lot of the administrative meetings, uh, morning rounds, um, COVID-19 meetings. Um, so in May, the hospital had announced that the CDC was recommending that we not test vaccinated people. And so we had stopped testing the vaccinated. And then in August, it was August the 18th, the hospital announced that because they were having, they were taking people into the ED and then we were keeping them in the hospital and then having to find somewhere else to send them. And we were having to test them and they were coming back positive that they were just gonna go ahead and just across the board test everyone that came into the emergency department. And that that was on a Wednesday. Well, that weekend the they had uh, several people come into the ED. Um, they tested everyone. And then on Monday morning when I got back to work, everybody was, I had patients asking me, oh, I've seen on the news that you guys have had an explosion of covid patients is this true and i i said i don't i don't know anything about this and um, so i went to morning meeting and they said so we had uh, after we started testing over the weekend we did have eight patients come into the ed that tested positive but we don't want you to worry because they all came in for uh, symptoms not related to covid so they they just happened to test positive and um so i thought okay and so i i looked up the the news article that my patients were referring to and it said that my hospital had an explosion of covid patients and was being overrun and the nurses in the ed were threatening to walk out because they were so overwhelmed with with covid patients and so um I, I researched and I, and I asked the administration, I said, do we have, where are all these COVID patients? Because we had one positive patient in the ICU and, and that was it. And they said, well, you know, we, we didn't, we didn't keep them. And I'm like, well, why, why, why did we alert the media that we have had an explosion of COVID patients? And um, when I spoke out about that on social media, I just said, I didn't even say what hospital I, I worked for or anything. I just said, you know, I, we, I'm we i concerned because the, the media is saying that we've had an explosion of COVID patients, but I just want everyone to know that the people that did come in and tested positive, none of them actually had COVID symptoms. And the very next day when I went to work, I was fired and I was told that I was being taken off the schedule because I was refusing to get the vaccine. And I was taken off the schedule a month earlier than the deadline uh, in Maine. Oh Oh my goodness, that's terrible. I'm really sorry to hear that. Mm.
2: Mm.
1: I mean, I, I'm, I'm seeing that at the hospital here locally in Wilmington and we, you know, someone actually leaked a meeting between a doctor and administration, the president of uh, Novant. And um, one of the, she used to be the chief medical staff for New Hanover uh, Regional Medical Center in Wilmington. Her name's uh, Mary Rudick. She was um, quoted as saying that the hospital's messaging needs to be a little bit more scary for the public. And she then proposed to include patients she characterizes as post-COVID in the hospital case count. And in response to that, the president of Novant, uh, currently, because they merged, so it's Novant, New Hanover Regional Medical Center merged right now. um, He said, who defines... um, those people would be patients who were initially hospitalized with COVID but no longer positive for the virus are considered recovered. And so the doctor, she's proposing that we include those in the numbers to, I guess, scare the public into receiving the vaccine. And she, and I will quote what it was on the news. It's, she was quoted as saying, I think we have to be more blunt. We have to be more forceful. We have to say something coming out you know if you don't get vaccinated you know you're going to die i mean let's just really be really blunt to these people end quote
0: mm-hmm. and she was laughing you know which is was... yeah
3: yeah 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 our hospital administrator when he was talking about the mandates said, uh, we, we need to make this as hard as possible on people who are refusing to get the vaccination. We're going to make their lives as hard as possible. And they have. Mm-hmm. Wow.
2: It's bad. I think it's the patients that suffer when, uh, you know, these... Uh, I don't know about where you guys are, but in California, the governor mandated that all healthcare workers have to have the vaccine by September 30th or face, and they're not calling it being fired, they're uh, calling it voluntary resignation. So we're not able to collect unemployment. Um, but for, uh, my CEO at my hospital put out a statement saying that around this time last year, there was approximately 800 open positions. And this time, this year there's over 1300 positions that they're looking to fill oh my goodness. Um, and as a result you know uh, elective procedures are being delayed and you know elective procedures that can include like cardiac stenting that can include like you know some serious procedures that you really don't want to delay like even if they're elective you don't want to put off for another week, possibly, right. you might like if you have aphid, you might throw a clot and die anytime, you know.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: So it's sad. And you know, in California, we have a uh, staffing stop, ratios by law. So um, if you're in a med- medical surgical unit, you're taking care of telemetry patients, you're supposed to have a maximum of four. If you are in a step down unit, you should have a maximum of three patients. If you're in an ICU, You know two or one if they are vented or um, on ECMO etc but those ratios are you know being pushed to their limits we're getting more and more patients just because we're losing more and more good nurses at the Mm -hmm. bedside Mm on on my unit we are supposed to do four and now we're getting five because people are leaving or my hospital system isn't really offering a lot of bonuses for us, like even though we've been taking care of COVID patients, we're not getting much of a pay increase. So, other hospitals that are our good nurses are going over there. They're getting, you know, sign-on bonuses of multiple thousands of dollars, and you know the people that are staying have to work twice as hard. Right. It's sad. And also, since I'm. Uh, someone who's refusing to get vaccinated even though i have natural antibodies from taking care of COVID patients in the past um i have to go through twice weekly testing in the hospital setting so i'm very thankful that my employer is providing some of the testing and where i live there is free testing but i have to go out of my own time to go get tested right they
0: pay you pay you on your time off to go get tested
2: oh oh no of course
0: not No. no
3: Well, in Maine here, the, the governor announced um, that they were no longer, that she was going to add COVID-19 vaccinations to an existing order that she had made that was going to go into effect on September 1st for all healthcare workers to receive uh, certain vaccinations with no religious exemptions allowed, only medical exemptions. And the medical exemptions were anaphylactic reaction to your first vaccine. So you pretty much, there's no exemption. And, uh, but before she announced that, the hospital had announced their mandate, but they were going to allow religious and medical exemptions, but um, they were going to require twice weekly testing and the testing would be at the employee's expense at $200 per test. So that's $200 per test twice a week. Hmm.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: And I mean my question is why
1: aren't they testing people who've had the vaccine if they're able to get COVID? You're right. And transmit that. And they're they're gonna end up with no healthcare workers if they continue to put these kind of positions on employees.
0: I mean Right. And if if we're truly in a pandemic, guys, I mean we're 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 smart, educated healthcare workers. If we're truly in a pandemic what hospital would be willing to lose that much staff in a crisis situation if we're truly in a crisis situation i mean these are common sense questions that that the public needs to ask themselves that none of it is is adding up none of it is making sense and they're bringing in travelers and in north carolina we've got some travelers coming in they're paying double sometimes triple their housing expenses to cover nurses who they already had on staff who they're pushing out. And we already went through an entire year and a half of a pandemic without a vaccine and we survived fine.
1: And I think that that should be you know if somebody doesn't work at the hospital as a patient of the hospital you should understand that that speaks volumes to how they feel about their patients. This is, you know, not just about workers being pushed out and workers being short staffed. It's about this affects every single patient that goes to that facility. Is like you said, ones that are waiting for surgeries. Um, you know, they're they're really losing so many of their employees over this mandate, and you know at what expense it's not just people losing their jobs this is patients not getting the care that they need mm-hmm. um you know for anything even if it's not covered related mm-hmm.
0: well i mean we we've been screaming for years about patient safety and it's fallen on deaf ears for, for forever and and that was a red flag for me as well as to if patient safety is the primary concern which should be the primary concern of every hospital then why is nobody listening to us? I mean, acuity of patients should be taken into consideration when we're doing staffing, and it never has. And that's that's ridiculous. So if patient safety is truly their primary concern, they should be whatever means necessary to keep their staff fully staffed. 100%, should yes. To be, be the primary you know, objective. So that, that, that speaks volumes to me.
3: Yeah, that, that just shows it's not about safety. It's about compliance. No.
0: And we knew they didn't care about us, but I, I always hold out held out hope that they cared about the patients and I'm, I'm just getting disheartened to find that I don't think that's the case either.
1: Well, from what I've understood that they're talking about pulling the Medicare and the Medicaid Um, coverage from the hospitals if they do not um, place in the mandate and receive compliance. So to me, that's, you know, that's more of a financial standpoint than anything else. Which is sad, because that should not be their primary focus. I mean, understandable, a hospital is not going to be able to function if they don't have, if they're not getting paid for Medicare and Medicaid. Um, But, you know, I feel, you know, personally, this was the hospital's chance to stand up and th- these hospitals should say, absolutely not. We will not mandate this, you know, you cannot pull coverage. That's not, that's not right, right to do that to, to our patients and advocate for your patients and your employees. And they absolutely did not. Everyone just followed suit and started uh, creating mandates. And right, I, I just
0: think it's, it's just a fad, right. you know, sad scene. Not to mention the amount of money they're getting per COVID patient from the government.
3: Absolutely. Exactly. Yeah, our hospital was, if a patient was refusing to get tested, they were considered a COVID patient, even though they had not been tested. uh, Not only were they isolated, uh, like a COVID patient, of course, but they were also in the counts of COVID patients. Mm.
0: That's crazy. Are y'all seeing any vaccine related reactions? I know that probably you can't pinpoint that it's an actual reaction, but are you seeing anything out of the ordinary? Like we're seeing, you know, a lot of postpartum hemorrhage that we haven't seen. A lot more postpartum high blood pressure that we don't normally see.
3: Yeah, I've I've seen a very peculiar, all of a sudden, several patients out of nowhere having uh, capillary leak syndrome. Um, because, because I'm a wound nurse, I look at people's skin. And so, um, I was very puzzled by, by all, all the, the purple and red skin. And, and I would ask the, I would ask the providers, have you ever seen this before? And I was told by every nurse and provider that I asked, no, but no one, when I said, well, you know, what do you think cause it is causing this, um, uh, I was like, well, oh, I, I don't know. And, I, you know, I, if I ever questioned anything like that, I was quickly shut down. Um, we buried a good friend in the end of July. She was perfectly healthy. And after her second dose, she got blood clots in her lungs and then, uh, her liver doubled in size and, and she died. And it, from the time that she originally got sick, it was only about two and a half weeks until she passed away. And before that, she was perfectly healthy. Mm-hmm. I've seen uh, large swollen arms, and the, the arm that the patient got the injection in, um, lymphedema in that arm, um, I've seen a couple of those.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, my I have I have seven children and two of my daughters did did get the jab because their colleges told them that they had to and uh, one of my daughters she's 18 she has not stopped bleeding uh, menstruating for four months now since then and she she didn't have any issues in that area before. And uh, then my 19-year-old daughter, who's in nursing school, actually had a seizure during clinicals, and when she went to the, the ED, when they sent her down to the emergency department and they did some blood work, they, they said that her uh, kidneys weren't working at full capacity. And, I mean, these, these girls were perfectly healthy before. There was absolutely nothing wrong with them.
1: Mm. And I don't feel like any hospitals are keeping track or making any kind of connections between this. No,
0: mm-hmm. no. I, just just, um, just, a personal story. I made an a appointment for a mammogram. And when I was making my appointment, they asked me if I had the COVID vaccine. And I said, well, are you telling me that you're not going to see me if I haven't gotten it? Because no, I haven't gotten it. And they go, no, 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 no. We just we just want to know if you've gotten it because when we're scheduling your mammogram, we need to schedule two weeks before or two weeks after the shot. And I said, hmm, why? And why is that? And they said, well, because we're seeing some abnormalities on mammograms. And she said, we're seeing, you know, inflamed lymph nodes, that kind of stuff, which which is normal with a vaccine. But so I went for my appointment and I was talking to the the technician and I said can I just ask you another question I said you know if you say that that's normal with the COVID I mean what what are you seeing on your mammograms she said yeah with the COVID vaccine we're seeing you know inflammation and and abnormal um, mammograms and I said so why why didn't you see that she said but that's perfectly normal with the COVID vaccine that's perfectly normal because that means the vaccine's actually working And I said, okay, so, but why have you never asked me if I've had a flu shot before a mammogram? Well, there was dead silence, and she looked at me, and she goes, you know, that's a very good question. She says, I have no idea. She says, I have no idea why we don't ask about all vaccines now that you say that. And when things just don't add up, you're like, why is nobody questioning any of this stuff? You know, they just... They're just taking their day-to-day operations as whatever is told, that's what they do. And, you know, hats off to all you brave girls who are actually questioning what's going on. I mean, hello, we haven't ever acted like this with the flu every year. We know the flu kills millions, and we've never shut down a hospital. We've never shut down the economy. So that was the first red flag. You now granted, at the beginning of this, we didn't really know what we were dealing with with COVID. Everybody was kind of, okay, let's let's see what we're dealing with. I had people reach out to me and say, you know, you're in the healthcare setting, it was, is this really what you're seeing? I work on a, an elective surgery unit. We were closed for a month and a half. If If they were truly being inundated with patients, they were not gonna leave empty beds in a hospital but yet they were still talking about we might have to set up a satellite hospital outside the hospital. I'm sitting there going,
2: really? Mm Going back to adverse effects, I did want to talk about, since I do work on a stroke unit, Um, I have seen an increase in young patients that are vaccinated that are coming in with stroke-like symptoms. Sometimes, something as mild as a TIA, so a transient ischemic attack, so just like, they call that a mini stroke Mm -hmm. that you develop, like, maybe sometimes they're coming in with like left-sided numbness or weakness. Um, But the thing is, I can tell, Now, what's interesting is in the electronic medical record, right before, like before, we didn't have vaccine status uh, prominently displayed, but now it's like their name, their age, their allergies, and then COVID-19 vaccine status is right there front and center to be advertised to you Mm -hmm. and all providers. So I think that's interesting that they're highlighting that as something that you need to know about. Um, Even though we test everybody, but then, yeah, so I'm seeing younger folks that are coming in with these issues. I had one gentleman that I cared for that he came in for a TIA, which was the second time he was having stroke-like symptoms. First time he left against medical advice, but he was back. Uh, and he told me that after he got his vaccine, he was so confused. He developed one-sided weakness. He couldn't get out of bed. He told me he couldn't even remember the password to his iPhone and that his wife had to take care of him. But he was adamant that, oh, yeah, everyone should get the vaccine. This is so good for everyone. I was looking at him like, are you crazy? <laughs> you were bedridden for two weeks and couldn't remember your password? All right. But, um, you know, and then I asked him, like, had anyone reported your symptoms to bears? Uh And he's like, no, he didn't know anything about it i did recommend you know you can self-report i believe i i guess i should have reported it at the time uh to the VAERS system but you know i was taking care of my patients i didn't really have 30 minutes to take out of my shift to report his situation to VAERS but uh, yeah I, I am seeing an increase in strokes right I, it's hard to attribute it to the vaccine you know mm-hmm. it's if you mention it it's dismissed it's like oh no they just had a stroke it's just you know, just diet and exercise. It's Like, okay, well, it could have been more than that, but my opinion is dismissed.
0: Wow.
1: When things don't add up and being in the medical field, you question things and you start to put things together and, you know, they're just absolutely unheard of to see these people come in and have, you know, uh, blood clots and they're in their 20s and they're otherwise healthy. To see these patients having these symptoms, you know, across the board, and you're, it just, it doesn't happen. Lurking in the emergency room, you know, usually people are of a certain age when they have, you know, blood clots or they've had a surgery. Um, it's just, this is unheard of. For, for us to see it, that is going to make us question everything. Yes. Um, and that's not something the public is being informed about. So they're not, some people are not questioning as much as others.
0: Mm-hmm. right well and that's what I hope this podcast does to just just give you know some kind of insight as to what's going on inside that they can make informed decisions because it's a scary time for all of us right now and it's even scarier when you, you don't have that medical background to even know what to ask you know at least we have a little bit of knowledge and, and, and fortitude to say stand up and say no this is not right but uh, you know the, think about the general public they're scared to death when their loved one gets sick and then they're isolated and shut off from their loved one and they're at the mercy of whatever's going on behind the doors and that's, that's a scary scary thing for these people
1: it really is and especially since you know when people are put on ventilators a lot of them don't do well And a lot of family members that I've seen have, you know, advocated they don't want their family member put on a ventilator and, you know, years in the medical field, I've never seen any patient be put on a ventilator without express permission from either the patient or the family member. If they're not able to give that consent, Mm -hmm. um, that this is not something that should be left up to, you know, doctors to make that call. That should be something that's very involved with the patient's family, and they should be informed and have consent. It's even beginning to to the point where patient's families have said, we don't want, I do not want my family member on a ventilator, and the the doctors told them, well, if I have to put them on a ventilator, I will. And, you know, so even the the, the, um, face of how things are supposed to be lawfully through how patients are treated is completely evolving into something different as well because the patients are now isolated from their family members because of contamination and, and different protocols. Mhm.
3: And and your facilities are are they requiring uh, people to wear a sticker on their badge that says whether they have been vaccinated or not for employees? Yes. I had not a big seen a golden
2: that. sticker. There's a big gold sticker that you receive if you've gotten fully vaccinated mm-hmm. that goes
3: on your name badge. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Does it say COVID nineteen vaccinated? Yes. Yeah. That's what our hospital. So I, you know, every patient that I saw could, and every every person I walked by in the hospital could plainly see my vaccination status. That I didn't have a sticker on my badge. Mm. It Said in you know a, a gold a gold sticker that was fairly large. It said COVID-19 vaccinated. Wow. And
0: where, where are the HIPAA laws with that one?
3: Exactly.
1: I mean, I've had, um, I have a friend that works at one of the Novant sites and was, you know, had a patient come in and was, you know, asking if the, you know, technician that she would be in contact with had the vaccine or not, which is, you know, one of those things where that's not really, You know you really shouldn't have to give up your privacy and report that and you know also understanding patients you know some of them are immunocompromised but you know we have to we've been doing this protocol before the vaccine where we've been using masks and gowning up and sanitizing and trying our best to keep patients from getting sick when they come to our facility whether they're immunocompromised or not and all of a sudden these protocols are completely out the window People are being led to believe that they're going to be safer with a vaccinated technician versus an unvaccinated tex- technician when they still follow those same safety protocols that we always have to keep them protected. And you know, these facilities should be, you know, reiterating that these are the safety protocols we've always had in place. We will take extra precautions with you if you're immunocompromised um you know and and we'll do whatever we need to do if we have to put on the n95 mask versus a regular surgical mask to make the patient more comfortable but you know going out of our way to to do the safety protocols is one thing giving away your employees private information
0: is to me that's overstepping the employer's bounds completely right well and again if we were not vaccinated and we got a waiver then we were going to have to wear the n95 and my understanding was the vaccinated did not have to wear the N95. So you're, you're immediately standing out among your teammates there. And for anybody that knows the N95, the public probably doesn't know, but the N95 mask, if you truly have a mask that is fitted to your face, these are fitted, we're all have to be fit tested. If you can't smell Clorox, you can't smell vinegar, you can't smell anything through this mask if it truly works. And you look at what the public is walking around outside to walmart to target to the to the grocery stores these masks are doing nothing ex you know ex- except you know, as a as a, a reminder of that we're all being controlled kind of. i mean it's and these kids in the schools that they're making them sit in their desk with their masks on but yet you can go into a restaurant and sit at a table and take your mask off then why can't these kids take their mask off at their desk it's just nothing is consistent exactly
1: yep and it's been that way for so long that i feel like the the public has you know they should have you know, most people should have been questioning things back then, mm-hmm. especially like you said, when you can smell through a surgical mask, I mean, it's, does that not tell you that particles are, are getting through that mask? Mm-hmm. It's not, it's not 100% foolproof, you know, um, but again, it's, you know, people want to get upset with someone else wearing one, but if you're wearing one, you should be protected. Right. And, you know, if you feel like you're being protected, which, you know, obviously it's not going to cut out you know every single particle I mean there's a little bit of filtering they're done but people aren't being told to you know manage what you need to do in order for yourself to feel safe Mm -hmm. Um, because you know it's it's like it's the same thing with the vaccine and the president saying you know we should be afraid of people who are unvaccinated are causing you know other people to become sick and that is absolutely an untruth I mean there's Science is, is proving that the vaccinated are getting the virus and they are able to transmit the virus. And that should tell people that, you know, if you want to get the vaccine to protect yourself, then by all means, you should do so. Um, other people, it's it's not going to make a, a difference as far as if, you know, you feel protected. That should be your protocol. Um, and but we've been villainized. People with the without the vaccine have been villainized and it's and it's completely untrue. It's not scientific at all. Right.
3: I remember being told before COVID that surgical masks were only good for about fifteen to twenty minutes because by the time that your breath that it, it's gotten moist by your breath, it has compromised the the protection of the mask. And so And then after covid it was well these masks are good forever they're good until they break
0: right and in the pandemic we didn't have enough masks to go around so you were wearing a mask for 14 hours 12 Mm -hmm. hours yeah
3: Mm. yeah i mean we we ran out of ppe we were given rain ponchos to wear uh, that were from, from the Dollar Tree where they went and just bought every rain poncho that they could find from every Dollar Tree in town. Oh my gosh.
0: What?
1: When it, when COVID actually first began, um, there was a coworker that I had and before the masks even came out, uh, she was wearing a mask at work in the emergency room and um, you know, she was registering patients and going in patients rooms and um they told her that she could not wear a mask because she was scaring the patients so if that was at first and then all of a sudden it went to okay you know we're going to give you masks and in the beginning i didn't you know i asked personally for an n95 mask and was told i didn't need one you don't need an n95 mask you know you you don't have to wear that and certain people were given n95s and certain people were were denied and they also had the same n95 mask for some of the nurses had them for a year they're Mm -hmm. using the same one for a year and now all of a sudden because we don't want the vaccine we're going to have to wear an n95 mask yeah it's just it's it's kind of interesting how it has evolved Mm -hmm. through this whole COVID situation
0: oh yeah
3: Yeah, My my husband's a nurse as well. And when, when COVID first started, they, his job said, you know, look, we're, we can't tell you, you can't wear a mask, but we are highly recommending you don't wear a mask because you are frightening the patients. And he said, no, I'm going to wear a mask because I don't, I don't know anything about this virus.
1: And, and I've never heard, you know, when I first heard that, you know, don't, you can't wear a mask. And I mean, working in the medical field for 12 years, I've, I've worked on, I've walked on many floors. Um, depending on what the people have had way before COVID, there is standard precautions in place for certain patients. That you have to, you know, either gown up, glove up, wear a mask. You know, this is all personal protection. And it's all PPE. And I couldn't believe that someone was telling an employee that they could not wear protective equipment to protect themselves against something or possibly protect a patient against something. That was completely unheard of. Um, but in the beginning, it was about what you're, you're scaring the patients and you're making the patients afraid.
0: So We've done a turnaround on that one, haven't we?
3: Yeah. Mm. yeah now it's they're not afraid enough how can we make everyone more scared yeah
0: and you know we're we're just one of many professions or service professions that are being affected by this i mean now with with biden's mandate there's plenty more people that are going to be having to make these hard choices of what they're going to do my hope is that that people will will research and and be able to arm themselves with information that they can make you know the right decisions for their families and loved ones but it
2: feels like a tough choice because now you know with uh biden making this announcement you know essentially you can't work. It seems like if you're, it, unless you're in a state where like a governor has spoken out and said that we're not going to enforce this. You know, I feel there was only um, at least I think at least 14 states um, governors came out to say something against it. But the majority of the United States, you're going to be faced with this decision. You know, do you give up your livelihood um, for you know your freedoms, your rights, but? You know, you also gotta feed your family. You gotta put food on the table. If you want to, you know, go get your education, all the major universities are requiring this. It's it's really sad mm-hmm. that this is the choice that we've been given.
3: For a virus that has over a ninety nine percent survival rate.
0: Right. That's never been isolated. No.
3: And
1: I even think, you know, it's not necessarily um, that people like, you know, our group right here, even just talking about it and the majority of, you know, healthcare workers it, were not against other people's choices to take the vaccine. You know, that's that's their choice. And when it first came out, I didn't hear any of the nurses that I work with who were not vaccinated. I had no idea who was vaccinated, and who was not. I never heard anyone speaking out saying they, sh- they shouldn't be getting the vaccine or anything of that sort. Um, they had already made the decision for themselves that they personally did not want the vaccine, but they never put that on their patients. They never put that on their coworkers. They never tried to influence or make choices for anyone else because they respected people's choice to make that decision for their own selves, for their own health history regarding whatever kind of issues they may have had and you know, for them to want to get the vaccine. And now it's just completely, since they've mandated it, flipped it to the point where people who are vaccinated are allowed to you know some of them feel they're allowed to tell other people what their choice should be and you know what it really comes down to is no one should ever have tell you what you should be able to put into your own body and what kind of you know medications or anything that you should have to take that should be each person's individual choice and there should be no negative consequences for that
0: or negative treatment Exactly. Uh. Well, girls, y'all are my heroes. <laughs> uh, I can't, I can't thank you enough for being so brave and coming on here and being empowered to speak out in the name of help. You know, oftentimes we're empowered at the bedside for to be our patient's voice and be their advocate but it's sometimes hard to, to find our own voice. And I think this podcast has helped empower a lot of intelligent, caring, compassionate healthcare workers to finally you know, find their voice and continue to speak out and help educate our public and hopefully arm them with information that they can find their own you know, knowledge and gain knowledge to help make informed decisions um but what started out in north carolina has grown to now we're we're maine and california we're just excited that it's it's there's other nurses that are giving us insight in what's going on so i can't thank y'all enough for your time um we appreciate the public for tuning in and we hope some of this information will help guide you in your decisions and please like and share and subscribe to our channel and uh, continue to spread valuable information to others and potentially help save lives so thank you ladies and until next time we hope to see you soon
3: thank you thank you
2: guys appreciate it